Welcome to Brothers and Who, a Married Who spinoff podcast in which me, Jake, my brother Alex, and our producer Terry watch classic Doctor Who in whatever order we decide. We are continuing our journey through all of the companions, and this week we're here to talk about Zoe Harriet. We don't get into deep dives on the companion, we're kind of just using this exercise as an excuse to watch some episodes or some stories we maybe otherwise wouldn't have. If you want deep dives into companions, there's plenty of podcasts for those including our friends over at companion piece go check them out i want to do things a little differently than we have been we've kind of been just talking about the story and not focusing on the companion until we're done and then we specifically talk about the companion let's kind of sprinkle the companion stuff into the discussion on the episode that way i think maybe it'll be a little shorter (laughs) we can get some stuff (laughs) out of the way yes uh so yeah we'll talk about the story with an emphasis on the companion herself This week, we're here to talk about The Invasion, written by Derek Sherwin, directed by Douglas Canfield, aired November 2nd to December 21st, 1968. Alex, I ask you every time, where in the Doctor Who 50th anniversary poll do you believe this fell if we just include Classic Who, which I think was like 156 stories, something like that. I'm going to go with 53, Alex or Alex <laughs> Trebek, but, you know. If you go back and listen to our podcast, you're always, like, within three numbers of 50 <laughs> when you guess these. Because it's, like, 50 or a I need you to take this more seriously. 48. <laughs> Terry, what's your guess? Um, I really enjoyed it, so I'm going to say it's probably in the 30s. That's high praise. 23. Yeah. Oh, damn. Oh, that is high praise. And if you include all of new who up to the 50th anniversary making it 241 stories it only falls 10 spots so it's 33 wow that doesn't surprise me this is a banger well this is kind of the cybermen story when you think about 60s cybermen well we'll get into it but first alex what'd you think i really enjoyed this it was eight episodes long but it did not feel dragged on at any really at any specific moment really for me. Dragged on. Dragged on. It it wasn't dragged. Terry. I would have to agree. This this whole episode, if you will, was just wonderful to watch. Because <laughs> it is a story. I know. It is yeah. <laughs> I didn't find out the word I could say. But yeah, the story was really fun. Um definitely utilized the companions a lot in this and it was just refreshing that it was just a lot of you see the doctor and then back to the bad guys and it was like equal time for both but not like super heavy doctor or heavy bad guy story that could potentially drag on way too much so it was very pleasing to see everything work together so harmoniously I felt like the doctor was almost uh, an like an assisted character, char- assistant character. Like he wasn't the focus. Yeah. Like it was just a lot of other stuff going on. But Jake, what about you? Uh, yeah, obviously loved it. It's not my first time watching it. Um, 
I thought it was before watching. And then that first animated episode was really familiar to me. Hmm. And I think this is the DVD release that was the first to have animated episodes in it. I want to say it's from 2009. So when I did my classic 60s rewatch in 2011, it was definitely one that I would have bought then. Uh, but yeah, it's a great story that you could see being just like a 60s or 70s TV movie of the week with any, you know, with any kind of military show or whatever. The supporting cast are great. We get some friends that we're going to have for a long time. And the Cybermen is a monster. You're usually pretty terrible. <laughs> uh, but I think they're used to really good effect here. Yeah, they weren't. I mean, they were the focus, but they weren't the focus. Like you didn't see a Cyberman until like the sixth episode. Fourth. Fourth. Oh, it felt so much later. <laughs> <laughs> and coincidentally, the fourth episode was the five year anniversary of Doctor Who. It aired on November 23rd, oh. 1968. Nice. But I think what makes this so great. I mean, everyone knows um, Kevin Stoney as Vaughn is like the big get for this story. Obviously, he great. obviously he's great. Um, you know, any chat about this story kind of has to start with him. And other, other podcasts and other DVD special features can talk about how great he is. But I think what makes this special, and it's kind of funny that it takes almost 10 years for them to realize this for the Daleks, is that these monsters need a mouthpiece because as we said when we watched the last cyberman story um what was it the the was it the moon base one no well, the one after tomb. that yeah tomb of the cybermen so yeah. as we as we said when we watched tomb of the cybermen the cybermen kind of became uh indecipherable like you can't figure out what the fuck they're saying yeah and so two cybermen talking to each other for a minute is the worst so give us a person, and then when they do figure that same thing out for the Daleks, when Davros is created, then Davros is from then on in every Dalek episode for the rest of Classic Who. Yeah. And I think they they learn that from this. Since this is the second Doctor, is this the first time Unit has showed up, or has Unit been a thing? It's the first time that they're Unit. It is not the first time that... Lethbridge Stewart has been in. He was in oh, okay. earlier in the season in an episode called The Web of Fear, which I watched for our Victoria podcast to kind of just watch some more Victoria stuff. Okay. And he was a colonel. He was the same character. He was Lethbridge Stewart, but he was there wasn't unit. He just kind of showed up. Web of Fear and this, the invasion, were kind of like a practice run for what the show's going to become in the next season when they switch to color and earth-based military stories hmm. which is a, what a lot of the 70s are and so it starts with web of fear they want to bring back a lot of those elements for this one so having that character come back and then they needed some kind of like special group that the doctor could specifically interact with that wasn't like the government because that's a little gauche so they created unit and they did it in this story okay i i was excited because uh 
they obviously said United Nations, but they've had to change that. Was that immediate or was that like way later? In New Who. Oh, that was just in New Who that they had to change? Oh, I suppose. Oh, so, it w- okay. So the UN didn't care back then. Gotcha. Right. They they even used the United Nations Intelligence Task Force in New Who the first time they're mentioned. Mm. And then the United Nations was like, hey, could you not? And then they had to change it. But then they still get some cheeky stuff in there where they're like, oh, the Unified Intelligence Task Force. And then they'll kind of be like, well, they're run by the United Nations. Like they, they do say oh. United Nations a couple times, but not in the name. Um, another... Uh, connection that they wanted to Web of Fear is kind of how the story starts is they're looking for Professor Travers who was in Web of Fear and was in The Abominable Snowman. So he's like a recurring character. Oh. The writers who created him uh, didn't want to give them the rights to use him (laughs) or they were asking for too much money or whatever. Mm. So a clever workaround is we went to his house. A different scientist lives there now. (laughs) And then. Wait, didn't they find that scientist, though? That was the uncle, right? Right. But not the one they were looking for. They go to Professor Travers's house and it's now occupied by Professor whatever this fucking guy's name is. Oh, Oh, I thought it was the same guy. He just wasn't there. No, they say the guy they're looking for has gone to America. Oh, to like with his daughter. So in that in that web of fear, he's it's Professor Travers and his daughter, who's also a scientist, are kind of like the the experts on, you know, that are working with the military on how to solve the problem when the doctor shows up. And and so they go to Professor Travers's house and Professor it says Professor Watkins on it. And then Isabel opens the door. And she's like, oh, Travers doesn't live here. My uncle, Professor Watkins, does. And they're like, oh, where's he? And she's like, I don't know. He's been gone for weeks. <laughs> I've just appropriated this. Okay. So that was this connection that's been going on. Uh, it's clearly the new direction they're going. But that's how we start this story, is looking for that dude, but finding Isabel. So let's talk about her for a minute. What do you guys think of Sally Faulkner <laughs> as Isabel? I thought she had a strong performance. She she was great. Yeah. So she was a model and now is trying to get into like photography. That was her whole kind of art. No, she wanted to be she wants to be a photographer. She modeled a little to make some money for her camera oh, equipment. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. It, it's a nice believable character. I thought she was great. She definitely brought energy to every scene she was in. Yeah, her and Zoe, like the way they were bouncing off each other was pretty cool. And it's nice to see, like in those first two episodes, like a female relationship on television that like doesn't have any animosity. Like they just meet and they're girlfriends and they get to be like a little silly and have some fun. And then when it's time to get to business, they get to business. Yeah. And it's... It's rare that women are written as just like women get it. You know, it, they either have to be like, you know, strong and stern or they have to be screamy girly girls. Like, yeah, the fact that they can have both sides is real Mm -hmm. and you just don't see it very much. And it's nice that a show that especially in this era typically just has 
one female in every story and they're pretty shitty <laughs> most of the yeah. time. Uh, it's nice to see that they're they're able to kind of focus on these two characters in the way that they do when there are a lot of dudes <laughs> in this story. Well, and there was there was even that scene where they kind of called him out on it a little bit. It's like when they were going to go down and get the pictures of the Cybermen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, no, this is my man can handle this. He's like, what do you mean? I could do it. He's like, no, that's not no, or no work for a woman or whatever. And like they just like laid into him. He's like, what do you mean? That's so misogynistic and yeah. terrible. And then Zoe started chiming. He's like, yeah, that is kind of shitty. <laughs> Although with that character, Isabel after she serves her purpose of like taking the pictures of the cybermen she doesn't do anything else the rest of the story except kind of fawn over captain jimmy yeah Sur serve a, coffee right <laughs> or tea i guess although it is fun you know we've talked about the mod girl before and the fact that being financially independent is a part of that so she's like doing what she can to get her business up started she doesn't really there's no mention of like wealth or like her family or like any of that um she is kind of trying to talk like kind of street but she is obviously like highly educated yeah um and when captain jimmy asks her out she's the first thing she says is you're not stinking rich are you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and that and that actor um sally faulkner she's gone on to have like a huge career she's been acting nonstop, and still is she has had a movie come out this year yeah she was really good um her and uh leftbridge stewart i think are like for the extended cast in this one are reasons why i enjoyed this episode so much like their their performances were just really great yeah i still don't know who my mvp is gonna be it's gonna <laughs> me <be hard>. either <laughs> let's go at this from a different tack then um the first four stories are all centered or four first four episodes are all centered around this building this ie technologies and it's you know the doctor and jamie going in kind of getting tossed off that i shouldn't say that phrase <laughs> getting <laughs> tossed aside and then zoe and isabel coming and trying to find them and then being kidnapped and the doctor and jamie having to go back and it's really like an intense, you know, kind of high strung, almost espionage. Yeah. I was just going to say like spy story. Yeah, yeah. A spy thriller complete with, you know, the military backup and everything. Uh, and it doesn't have the Cybermen in it at all and it doesn't need it. It's a great story. Yeah. On its own. It was great. The, the, the mystery. Cause I, I don't know. Did you tell me this was a Cyberman story? Cause I did not yes, I did. see that coming. I was like, Oh shit. It's, it is Cyberman. Cause when when he was talking in the transmitter thing, I was like, that does sound kind of Cybermini. And then it like showed it the next episode. Um, and of course, those episodes leading up to the Cybermen appearing, they only work if the villain is fantastic. And it is. We get Vaughn and to maybe a lesser, maybe a higher degree, Packer, who is... My favorite character. <laughs> Packer, he just embodies the 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 need to kill. <laughs> That's like his whole thing. Like, you could just see the tumescence when 
anytime Vaughn says, oh, you can go hurt these people, he's just like fully erect. He's oh, so excited. It's Pinky in the brain. Yeah. 100%. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And what's the over under on how many times Vaughn says the word Packer? Is, <laughs> Packer! It, a, is it a thousand? <laughs> It's like Dennis the Menace. <laughs> but it's not even, just any time he's just talking to him, he's like, yes, Packer. Okay, Packer. Hello, Packer. And it's just like, why do you constantly say his name? He's the only person you talk to. <laughs> Although it does have, just sprang to mind, like the great kind of full circle shot of him, you know, speaking into the intercom Packer. And then Packer's face comes and like those little circle monitors to the end of the story when he does it and the Cyberman head comes into frame. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. They've taken over, sir. And then, whoom. <laughs> oh, Packer. I love that as Packer continues to be foiled by the Doctor, his hair gets more disheveled and his voice starts getting higher. And, like, at the beginning, he's very, like stiff upper lip very proper and like evil and then as the story goes on he's just completely falling apart yeah mm -hmm. he's he's a worry wart he just couldn't believe in the plan he didn't trust the process yeah <laughs> i don't know if anyone else kind of noticed this as well but like the second episode uh like zoe just wasn't in it at all like both her and isabel were in coffins but like I also then noticed coffins. like but they were. They Very were silver they coffins. Were. Yeah. And then later on, Jamie gets shot in the butt by some guards, and then he's out for like a story and a half. Sorry, episode and a half, until he shows up at the end of it. Yeah, and that was pre-recorded because that was Fraser Hines' vacation. That was his holiday. So oh, okay. And was then, it Zoe's holiday when she was yeah, off? It was yeah. Wendy Padbury's holiday in episode two is that yeah two or three um yeah so those are like in their contracts those are the days that they're off or the weeks it is weird to have like one of your main actors their holiday be the last episode yeah but i think it gives you know this this story was picked by our twitter friends as the one that's like the best zoe story and if you watch episode eight, you know, Zoe's already done like her smart person stuff. So like she cracked the computer, made it destroy itself out of like logical fallacies and then did the calculations in 30 seconds to show the army how to blow up all the Cybermen ships that were coming. So like that part of her has already been used. But then with Jamie not there, she gets to do the running around with the unit soldiers. So yeah. like it, at the very, very end, I just love this shot Um, when Vaughn has just died and the doctor's being shot at by the Cybermen and then unit shows up and takes the Cybermen out and the doctor's like on the ground and he just goes, oh, it's over there. Go destroy it. The um, the radio link that the Cybermen are using to drop the bomb. Yeah. Uh, Zoe's the first one up and running towards it and then all the soldiers are behind her like she's in charge mm. and it's just a one second little shot but it's like you know just thinking back to Caroline Ford and some of the other lesser used younger female actors like they just again 
must be going to the BBC and just shitting on the lawn and being like, fuck you guys. <laughs> Clearly this was possible. <laughs> and instead you did to me what you did. Even uh, Polly, like she never got to do anything that cool. Yeah. Where she was. I mean, she created the solvent that destroyed the Cybermen because of her knowledge of cosmetics. <laughs> because she's a vapid woman. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's about it. No charging into battle. Yeah, I thought I thought Zoe was fun to watch. And did they like why did her outfit change halfway through? Like was that a was it because there were several days in between? No. No. no? Terry was bitching about this when we were watching it. Yeah. She's wearing the cat suit from the Mind Robber. And in so the first episode of this is animated. The animators got it wrong. She's supposed to still be wearing that cat suit. Instead, they just put her in different clothes because they did. There's no telesnaps from that story, oh, okay. so they don't have any reference points. So she goes to Isabel's and puts on some clothes for their little photo shoot. So that's where that, that should have been. Okay. And then at some point, she puts her katsu back on, which is just like at Isabel's house or something. So that's like her uniform. Like that's her. No, it's just that this story takes place right. Like it starts with the TARDIS coming back together from the end of the mind robber. Gotcha. So it's just like we're bang right into that story again or right into the next adventure with no break in between. I really liked the invention that the professor made. Uh, the idea of pushing the, the emotion ray, yeah, <laughs> of pushing them into Cybermen and just I like the screaming Cyberman. Just that is the tunnels. most terrifying sound is just yeah. a screaming Cyberman. Ugh. And of course, that method for destroying Cybermen will be used over and over again in New Who. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, in their very first appearance, you get David Tennant using that phone to like send out. Or canceling the emotional inhibitor of yeah. all the Cybermen. So then they feel and then Explodes. kill themselves? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and then even in Moffat's era, when you get... They're at the department store with Craig and his like overwhelming love for his baby. destroy Because he's linked into the cyber brain because they're converting him. Yeah. And that causes them all to explode. Maybe that's why Cybermen hate humans so much is because we run on pure emotion. I don't think they hate humans. They are humans. They said multiple times, we gotta kill all the humans. Right, but they're trying to invade Earth in this story for conquest. Like, they want to convert all humans, which they've been trying to do the whole time. Um, And then when their initial plan is thwarted, they're like, fuck it, we'll just blow them all up. Hmm. So, question about because I was confused about Van's um, Van Van, sorry, <laughs> Mister Van, um, his whole con- like plan with the Cybermen. Like, I couldn't figure it out. And then, what was it like? Episode five. He just wanted them as an army, right? Because he wants to rule the world. Yeah, essentially. And then he was saying he gets the Earth, and the Cybermen gets the minerals that they're looking for on Earth. That's what I heard. And then... Yeah, there was some sort of give and take there. Yeah. And then at some point, the Cybermen were like, no, 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 no. We're going to convert everyone. It's like, that doesn't work. As long as, like, well, if you convert them, I get to keep my mind type of thing. But I'm real confused as to what... They promised him to be converted to Cyber Leader. 
Oh, okay. And so he said, that's fine. I will lead you, but like, you're only going to half convert me. Like, give me the body so I can live forever. So did they do that? Because he gets shot three no, it times. Was, no, they. I don't know what happens there. <laughs> oh, no, he has a cyber body. He's Does not. It? Yeah. So he's him and Packer are partially converted. Same with the the guy that was that carried in that crate, like the coffin, because oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh. he was super strong. And Jamie and the doctor are like, wow, that guy is really strong. But they're just half Cybermen. I like how Jamie's like, they must be empty. No one's as strong as me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he gets some good uh, punchy moments. You know, he jumps on Packer a couple times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was telling Terry yesterday, I watched the first episode of the story after this, um, the Crotons. So the Dr. Jamie and Zoe show up on a planet. They see someone get killed. So they, like, run into a building to tell everyone, like, hey, there's danger coming. And they are immediately grabbed by security. And Jamie looks at the head security guy. He's like, oh, you wouldn't be so tough if you didn't have all your friends. And so the head security guy is like, okay, everyone back up. Like, Let's do this. And he's got an axe in his hand. And the doctor's like, no, no, Jamie, we don't need to do this. He's like, no, no, doctor. It's cool. I got this. And then one of the other security guards tries giving Jamie an axe to make it a fair fight. And he's like, no, no, I don't need it. And then just like beats the shit out of this dude. Damn. That's 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 the most Highlander shit ever. <laughs> that's awesome. But it reminded me of Ian in the Aztecs where the doctor's yeah. like, no, no, Ian, you don't need to go fight to lead the no no doc it's cool I, I'll, I'll lead this army i i wish to fight i have a murderous bloodlust and it must be satiated uh our friends over at companion piece are doing their episode they're recording their episode on ben jackson tonight and they're asking for like tweets and stuff i said like he's kind of the forgotten 60s punchy boy because after Ian and Jamie, like you, you need to have more time on the show to get a, a kill count that's that high. <laughs> yeah, I do love in episode one because this this scene kind of epitomizes the Doctor Jamie relationship to me when they're being followed by some you know men in black cars. They don't really know who they are. They're it turns out they're unit, but we don't know that. Yeah. Um. And they just like succumb to the fact that they're fucked. And the doctor just like sits on the ground and starts dealing cards. And Jamie just gets over his shoulder and is like, like, oh, okay. Mm, (laughs) And it's just the two of them together as like a comedic duo. It was great. Yeah. And they they talk about it in in the DVD for this. Fraser Hines is interviewed and just talks about like after just a couple of months, the two of them like just knew what the other one was going to do in any situation. And they could improvise so well together and it was uh a relationship unlike any we'll see in uh maybe ever in doctor because they were truly the two of them the actors best friends yeah joe and hugh grant you no, that's not his name joe and hugh grant no <laughs> uh the companion joe <laughs> yeah uh, what's the doctor's name? The, John Pertwee. John Pertwee. Why did I say Hugh Grant? Because <laughs> Joe's last name is Grant, and you oh, thought of the actor Hugh Grant. That, okay, yeah, but I mean they were friends. Like it's kind of like that. They were friends, yes, and they—that is another special relationship. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, in those cases, both the younger actors are still with us, and the those doctors died pretty young. 
in the first episode in the animation on Isabel's wall is the phrase bad wolf because it's animated so they can do some fun stuff. Add in. Oh, cool. Um, this story was intended to show producers and the BBC how bringing the show back to Earth and kind of making it Earth centric would help with cost and efficiency and ended up being the most expensive episode they had ever done up to that point <laughs> and would be for years. Nice. But they got eight episodes out of it. Yeah. So like per episode, it had to have been cheaper, right? No. <laughs> it's oh, very really? expensive. Yeah. But they did get a lot of help from the military. So like in those scenes where you see 25 guys jumping out of a truck and running, those are actual soldiers. They also got like a whole ass airplane that they were driving Jeeps in and out of. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> like like I, I, when I saw that, I was like, damn, I took a note. Well, and like, we were watching money. it and because they have the camera locked off. So like, first of all, why are the Jeeps in an airplane? <laughs> like you, you get them to where they're going. Then you take them out. Like yeah. That airplane has uses or why would you just leave them in there? But I like when um, the brig and a couple other people are driving out of the airplane and they stop on the ramp mm -hmm. like there's just tilting so no one would ever do that no. <laughs> it's so dangerous but that's where the camera was cut off because they want to show the jeep coming out so they had to yeah oh i did want to briefly mention john levine as sergeant benton because he's going to be in unit for the next 20 years so john levine he was like a monster actor so like he was in web of fear in one of the yeti costumes he was gonna be a cyberman in this but he's also like in the background in a couple shots in the early episodes as just like soldier and so you see him early but he's playing a different character because he's just like a background guy he's got oh. a different uniform on but then the actor who is going to play whatever sergeant benton's character was got fired because he kept showing up late and so they're like well let's just get john in who like had never had a speaking part in anything, I think. And he was like super nervous, but <laughs> just because of that, just because he had been around and people like him, he played that character for three doctors. And like, he was in Dr. Who through the seventies and into the eighties. Wow. And like, you know, it was done big finish and conventions and all that shit. Just in the right place at the right time. Right. And just like, don't be an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. People like you, you get stuff. <laughs> there's one other little fun fact I wanted to mention. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of shots of like going up and down ladders and skirts, <laughs> skirts. Fraser Hines, very nervous about those kinds of shots because he's supposed to not have underwear on because he's a Highlander. Killed, right. Yeah. And he did, obviously. And so he didn't want like shots up his kilt of showing the fact that he was wearing anything under there. So there are a couple shots where he said the cameraman was able to like do a trick or like put a thing over the lens that like blacked out the area under his kilt. Mm. And if you watch it with that in mind, you can tell. But then I didn't even notice in the scenes with the helicopter, which we we just have as animated. But even in the animation, they still draw in Isabel's underwear. <laughs> like yeah. didn't need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently, um her skirt was flopping all over the fucking place. Like couldn't because there's a helicopter above them. <laughs> like it's yeah. going crazy. Yeah. And what a wild scene to maybe have seen. I really wish. It, yeah. Right. I wish we could see that. Um, 
there is a shot on the DVD showing the helicopter with the ladder dangling down. So it'd be cool to see how they did that. But Fraser Hines had heard a story about the queen and how like on really windy days, she would have weights sewed into her skirt so that it wouldn't flop up. So he had the costumer sew weights into his kilt. Nice. He did not share that with Sally Faulkner, (laughs) (laughs) but she had a tiny little mini skirt on. Right. (laughs) You'd probably be able to tell. There wasn't anything saving that. And both, um, both her and Wendy Padbury in their interviews on the DVD mentioned those skirts repeatedly because <laughs> they were mini skirts were like brand new. So like, of course, was, they had us in these fucking mini skirts. Yeah. And they're both like, yeah, it was kind of like, it's kind of embarrassing to watch back now. But at the time, they thought it was awesome. <laughs> Man, like, I don't think I've seen a mini skirt in forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now they're just in their underwear. Just go on TikTok. Yep. <laughs> Um, all right. I was going to, sorry, no just good. going back to that miniskirt thing. I feel like at one point, um, Isabel's wasn't actually a miniskirt. Yeah, like, she had shorts. Yeah. Yeah. Like it when, was a short suit. When Zoe changed into her thing, she also changed <laughs> Isabel into, like, changed into what we called her waitress outfit. <laughs> like, she looked like yeah. she worked in a diner. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't help that she was serving tea to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> So the last four stories are kind of just like a typical Cyberman runaround, but you get some fun, like Doctor and Vaughn face-to-face confrontations. You know, we always talk about the Doctor and Davros, and they're, you know, the best scenes in those stories are when it's just the two of them in a room talking. I think the same could be said for this. Yeah. I really liked the uh, the amount of sets they had, um, obviously because they're shooting on location, but just like the different scenes, like the sewer scenes and then the office that was, I mean, saving money, the office that was exactly the same in two different locations. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they do bring that up on the DVD. It's like a genius in script writing, like just make it so that he wants his office to be exactly the same. <laughs> but I don't know. It it felt big. It, it was cool. I, I liked it. Mm-hmm. Just, just the, yeah, the visuals. You can imagine being a little kid. And seeing so like they they do a really fun trick where the fight with the Cybermen is done completely in like a war room with these military guys who are like relaying orders to people we don't see. Yeah. And, you know, shooting missiles with just some B footage of missiles being fired. And then one very quick shot of like a spaceship on wires being hit by a missile. Yeah. And, you know, we're 10 years away from Star Wars where they invent or the system where, like, they have a model and then a camera moving around it to simulate motion. The model's not actually moving in Star Wars, but the camera is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whereas here we just get static shots and then, like, a missile on or, like, a firework on a wire going towards a <laughs> yeah. model also on a wire. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it's all fun. And so, like, in those scenes where you're you have like 14 soldiers in this room and they're all talking over each other and you know the the higher ups are like poking their head and looking at what someone's doing and then running over to another guy like as a little kid that's got to be like super exciting mm-hmm. and you don't even realize that you're not actually seeing any action at all yeah i i did write down like the whole end sequence of like the battle with the cybermen when they're like uh the bombs underway the missile's almost there shooter counter 
missiles or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that whole sequence was baller. I really enjoyed it. Like it was just engaging and a lot of fun and it's like more military ish and ah, it was cool. Well, you're going to love. Um... And it took like 10 seconds. It wasn't like a whole episode of that. Right. right? Yeah. You're going to love the 70s where uh, or like the next season is all like seven part stories and it's all unit. <laughs> and nice. We're going to be there very, very soon. I'm already mourning the 60s, even though we have one more podcast left. (laughs) (laughs) Let's transition a little bit then to specifically talking about Zoe. Speaking of which, I really enjoyed the fact that after she had come up with her calculations to destroy all of that invasion, that the beginning of the eighth episode you see like everyone cheering her on like, <laughs> yeah. rather than going like, ah, oh, she did her job. Well done. Move on. And it's like, <laughs> they actually like celebrated her and like, that was really nice. Even though they do have to have one of the guys mention that she's pretty. <laughs> yeah. Like, she, she's m- way more good looking than a computer. Can we keep her around? <laughs> right. Although in those scenes, it's so funny how miniature Wendy Padbury is. She is tiny. She is yeah. so small. And like, Every soldier is a head taller than Isabel, and Zoe is head and shoulder shorter than Isabel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the beginning, Isabel's like, oh, finally, a proper model. It's like, I had never seen a model that was four and a half feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had to put her up on a chair to pose. <laughs> yeah, she had like one foot on a ladder and one foot on a chair. <laughs> Just so she could like get to where the light reaches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wendy Padbury mentions that like she wanted to be a ballerina but she's too short oh yeah and she she was accepted to like some ballet school as a youngster but uh jet flat feet Mm. that kills dancers speaking of wendy padbury she i watched her myth makers interview today she had started pretty young dropped out of school at like 15 to be an actor never went back (laughs) she even mentions that like when she stopped acting, she eventually became an agent. And she was like, I had to find a job in theater because I have no other skills. Like, I didn't go to school. I am barely educated. <laughs> she's yeah. just kind of like, she's like, I had no other course <laughs> than to <laughs> remain in this. But um, she had been in a pretty big television show before Doctor Who. Um, she got Doctor Who, had a great time. Did another show right after that where she was on for like three years and then some little stuff here and there, but a lot of theater work. And then at some point, like she'd already had a couple of kids and she was just like, I don't want to be an actor anymore. <laughs> she was like, stopped liking it and just, or just didn't really have the desire. And so she became an agent, a theatrical agent. She had clients that included uh, Nicholas Courtney our beloved brigadier, uh, Colin Baker, doctor number six, and Matt Strickland, who is Turlow. And she claims to have discovered Matt Smith, like as a youngster in theater, like pointed him out and was like, that one, he's, he's the good one. Nice. Cool. Yeah. What a resume, I guess. That's, yeah. that's awesome. And she, you know, she had done like some conventions and stuff in the eighties and then, and then, like the early 90s and then quit doing conventions because she 
doesn't like like repeating stories so she's like eh, i've already told all the stories even even in the MythMakers, when the interviewer asks her certain questions she just says like oh i've answered that tons of times <laughs> instead of just answering it <laughs> like you know we're filming this right go go, <laughs> go look it up go somewhere else look it up but uh it wasn't and then when she became an agent she stopped going to those to conventions and then in i want to say the early 2000s maybe a little earlier she retired and then started doing conventions again mm-hmm. probably because she was bored i mean her in this interview that i was watching which is like in the mid 90s uh, her kids were like one was in college and one was about to go like in was about to do her um, masters. No, she's about to do her O levels. Oh, okay. So like she was nearing the end of high school. Do you think back in those days, uh, conventioners made as much money as they do now? Like, was it still huge to like get someone at a convention? They're pretty big. And from what I hear of conventions back then, they paid in cash and they just gave you like a bag of cash. Nice. <laughs> and it was, you know, people come in line to get autographs and they've, you know, you just walk out with big stacks of cash for, you know, a couple of hours of work or a, that's, you know, a normal eight hour day. Damn. And she does say some interesting stuff. Like she had always said that, so getting back to the character of Zoe, she had always said that the later stories of Zoe versus the earlier stories of Zoe were shit. So like Zoe gets to start out. She's, you know, from the late 21st century. She's a science student. I think she's supposed to be like 16. But she is human. She's human. But she's a genius and specifically a math genius. And she said like oh in the early stories like you she gets to do that and do stuff and then in the later story she, it, she's just screaming mm. then she does say in this interview that she kind she takes that back she used to say that all the time in interviews and she changed her mind because she went to a convention um in america somewhere and watched a whole bunch of those episodes or parts of them and was like oh there's actually there actually is some good stuff in here so I think she did kind of come away with that through her convention experience of having like a positive view of the character of Zoe. That's cool. So to you, Alex, yeah. yeah. To you, Alex, we've seen the invasion now. We also watched the mind robber. So you've seen two of Zoe's stories. Um, what do you guys say about Zoe? She's fun to watch. You know, the the stuff that she was given to do. She did very well. I in this story, um, doing those math equations in that scene where it's like real fast because like just that whole sequence in that war room, I thought was super cool. But yeah, as a whole, I I really like her as a as a character, and then the actress playing that character, I think it was great. Compare her to our former companions. So she's replacing Victoria. Who is very screamy. Yeah. Mm. She's way better than Victoria. I think she... I think I would rank her at the top of all of the companion... Like the female companions we've had so far. All of them? I think so. I had a well, Barbara? Uh, yeah. So Barbara's tough. 
So you could say, so we put. She's up there with Barbara. We I'll just com- say that. <laughs> we put companions in three different categories. There's adult women, girls, and, and like, punchy boys. Yeah. So punchy boys, Ian, Jamie, Ben. Women, Barbara, Polly. Girls, we got Susan, Vicky, Victoria, and Zoe. Dodo is kind of in the middle. Yeah. She at least is like old enough to go to clubs. But I tend to put her in the girl category because she doesn't do shit. Um, Steven, I tend to put in the woman category because he's like an amalgamation. He doesn't get to do very much punchy stuff. Right. So I don't want to have just a man category that has just Steven in it. (laughs) Yeah. So Steven's in the woman category. Yeah, I think I think she's up there with Barbara. Yeah. Um, Because she i don't know she just felt like a i don't know like a real character that wasn't like you said screamy just there to be there kind of thing i do i just got the image in my head of her maniacally laughing when the computer exploded <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just like all teeth and just this huge laugh it was yeah, awesome she was having a good time <laughs> and poor isabel just having no fucking idea what's going on. Well, and it's then she, smoking, and then she's like, "Should we? Should we get out of here before we get in trouble?" She's like, and then they're like just chilling on the couch, like, "We did it, <laughs> we did it, we're gonna live forever." <laughs> yeah, that's what the vibe was. It was great. And then they take two steps and are immediately arrested yep. by the security. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. I mean, my up to this point, my favorite. Um, you know, teenaged companion was Vicky. Hmm. And it's hard to kind of like, it's kind of hard to put Zoe in that same category, even though technically their characters are like the same age. Yeah. But Zoe does feel more adult than Vicky. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just because in Vicky's time, she was with Ian and Barbara and the doctor as like this family unit, mm-hmm. where it's like the parents, the grandparent and the child. Whereas, and even Vicky's character changed when Ian and Barbara left, and now she had to start playing the woman, um, sharing that role with Steven. Whereas now, we haven't had that that family dynamic. It's just, there's the doctor, there's the boy, and there's the girl. And that's kind of been the formula for a while. Yeah. And as far as that formula goes, I think you'd be pretty hard-pressed to best Zoe as... And she, uh, Wendy Padbury, makes this association that she was the girl. In these stories, there's the doctor, the boy, and the girl. So in, in that format, I think she's probably the best. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that as well. But I also think like Zoe falls into the woman category just because of her education mm-hmm. of being from the future and having all of this I don't want to say insight, but just accessible knowledge compared to like Victoria, who's from the Victorian times that all of this future technology stuff, she doesn't have like a full grasp. Yeah, I feel so that way her character feels more lost and that you don't get those smart moments from her. She can only do what she's capable of at those times. So I think those restrictions, according to where the characters come from time wise, really puts a hinder on them so unless you're able to play to those strengths of what they know 
then they're going to be just screaming girls. Which um, is interesting because Jamie is kind of in the same boat as Victoria, but mm-hmm. he's a man who can punch things. <laughs> right. And so Victoria wasn't going to be put in the punchy column because she just wasn't written to do that. And so Zoe gets a fight in Mind Robber. She fights that uh, German superhero and beats the shit out of him. <laughs> it's been too long since I've seen that. <laughs> I don't remember that. Um. So they're when they're in the land of fiction. Yeah. There's the like the Krask or the Krasker or something like that. And it's like this German superhero that she read the comics of when she was little. Mm-hmm. And she just beats it because she doesn't believe in him. She's able to overpower him in this land of fiction. Oh, OK. And so she just flips him a bunch of times and then puts him in a rear naked choke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do remember that. Yeah. I was just having a thought that I wanted to try to get out. I was listening to Flight Through Entirety today. They did an episode this week on Matt Smith's first story, The 11th Hour. And so they're talking a lot about um, how Amy's story in that first season is her journey to adulthood, like going from being a girl to a woman. Not just literally, like in the first episode where the doctor leaves for 12 years and comes back, but the story starts with her, you know, fleeing her wedding to go off with her imaginary friend and then ends with her accepting becoming an adult and, you know, getting married and whatever. So I compare it to Peter Pan, like she's literally Wendy. She's wearing her nightgown in the first two stories. Yeah. Um, And then to... Uh, the Narnia stories where Susan isn't allowed to go on the last adventure because she's like started to think about sex. So she's like becoming a, a woman. And so she's no longer able to access Narnia because it's also, you know, the, those stories are also problematic in their Christian views. But I was thinking that that could be applied to, our 60s Doctor Who girls, the teenage ones. Whereas, you know, Susan is traveling with the Doctor until she finds a man. And then the Doctor has to leave her. Or just gets rid of her. <laughs> however <laughs> however you want to look at it. Just walks out with a bloody bat. Yeah, she's <laughs> gone. <laughs> Same thing happens with Vicky. We, we don't get to see that episode because it doesn't exist. But she is just like, pawned off on a dude once she like reaches sexuality is no longer able to travel with the doctor we haven't seen that in a while because we had characters that were already women but that's something that with zoe we don't get like she continues traveling with the doctor until which we'll watch we'll watch um war games for next week um she is well (laughs) It's a different ending. She's never sexualized. And I don't mean like perversely or like shot in a way that has like, apart from mind robber, maybe. Um, She doesn't have that moment of maturing beyond the story, which all the other girls do. And I, I just was having that thought while you were talking and I wanted to say it out loud. Interesting. One last little fun fact. Wendy Padbury did say in her Mythmakers interview that growing up as a little girl, Patrick Troughton was her favorite actor. And so oh. it was a big deal for her. 
Very cool. To get to work with him. And she was super nervous. But of course, as everyone says, Patrick Troughton is like the nicest guy in the world and made it very easy. Yeah, I think that's good. We managed to just about keep it under an hour after editing. Um, Next time. We're doing Jamie. The second Doctor companion. We'll get some hard one. We'll get some more Zoe. She's in it, too. So maybe we'll have some more to say about her next time. Um, it's the war games. It's 10 episodes long. Oh, <laughs> but it is the end of an era. It's the end of the second doctor. It's the end of Jamie. It's the end of Zoe. It's the end of black and white doctor who it's the end of the sixties. Ooh. I did. Wow. I didn't mean to mention at the beginning that we have Derek Sherwin, write The invasion. He will be the producer for the war games and for the next story, Spirit from Space, as like someone who was brought in to transition between previous producer and the next producer and to transition between second doctor and third doctor and to transition between black and white and color and to transition between space stories and Earth stories. So they needed like an old hand who knew the show and they bring so he wrote this one, which is one of the better ones of the 60s. And so he will continue to assist the show going into the 70s before he leaves. Is this on BritBox fully? I'd imagine so, yeah. It exists. Okay. It's all it's all there. All live action, all 10 fucking episodes. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although for this one, and everyone says it's great. I've seen it once. It was a long time ago. Um, but yeah, it, this one was eight. Fucking flew by. Yeah, it was I think good. I watched the first five in one sitting and then did two and then kind of fell asleep. <laughs> but it was just because it was late. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I surprised myself when I first started watching this story for today. I watched I thought I only watched one and a half because it was getting late. I ended up watching like I when I went back to rewatch or to start again, it was I watched two and a half. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like it's just it just flies. I could tell where you are because I went on BritBox and saw how many you'd watched. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Alex, who's your MVP for the, the invasion? They're so all hard. so good. I like a good bad guy. I'm going with Vaughn. Yep. Vaughn, Vaughn slash Packer if you need it, but Vaughn oh, only get one. really good. Kevin Stoney. Terry, who you got? Oh, man. I really wanted to say Vaughn, too. You can. <laughs> I shall. Like, okay. his facial expressions, the whole time watching him, I kept thinking, like, oh, he doesn't have a right eye. Like, he literally doesn't yeah. have a right eye. And then at times when he's, like, super stressed or excited, both eyes are wide open. It's like, oh, my God, is this a character choice? Like, it's so good. And the thought that his body is part Cyberman, like, it made sense the way he was playing it. Right? Like, the because the doctor said he doesn't blink normally. And it's like, oh, he's a he's a robot. I made a note about that. Like the first episode, it was like Mr. Vaughn meeting. He wasn't blinking. Yeah. And it was just like that's it he did really well with that character. It's very good. What you got, Jake? Um, well, you say there's no like real driving individual driving character in this story. I disagree. And I'm choosing that driving character as my MVP, 
and his name is Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart, <laughs> Nicholas Courtney. He was great. He was the mastermind. He's so good. Yeah, he was the master. He was the good mastermind, and Vaughn was the 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 bad mastermind. Like listening to Nicholas Courtney on the DVD, the special features, um, just talking about like the humor of the character, like how funny it's written, but how you have to play it completely straight, mm-hmm. and that's what makes it funny. And he does get so many good lines but he's also he's like he's essentially like reading the stage direction like he is literally driving the story forward because the doctor sometimes just needs to talk to somebody on a radio yeah and it's it's perfect it's well written very good mm-hmm. and of course nicholas courtney's the best we're gonna see him a lot in the future and he's not always gonna win the mvp but i wanted to make sure i got one in there for him yeah <laughs> This has been Brothers and Who, our episode on Zoe. If you would like to listen to this podcast, you can do so Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or on our website, marriedtohoo.com. If you want to listen to those marrieds, we're probably just about wrapping up Jodie Whittaker's first series and heading into her second. Uh, on behalf of myself, Jake, my brother Alex, our producer Terry, thank you so much for listening. Please join us next time for Jamie McCrimmon. Beer, dear, 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 dear,